Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Prove Me Wrong podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Pete Lieb. I'm glad you're here with me tonight. The holidays are upon us. As you can tell, I've, I've decked out the Prove Me Wrong studios here. Uh, Thanksgiving is, is in our rearview mirror. Christmas is on the horizon. Praise the good Lord. We've spruced up the podcast studio here. I actually brought Christina out of retirement. Let me say hi to Christina. Hi. There you go. This is the first week of the last month of the worst year ever, 2020. And I've decided to let you all in on the holiday spirit that my family and I usually share every year. For us, the day after Thanksgiving means the tree has gone up and Christmas holiday officially starts. And we probably watch somewhere around 20 movies up until Christmas, you know, at least three or four a week. And while each member of the family has a favorite song, a favorite movie, which we plan to expose in future podcasts, so stay tuned, one of those favorite movies is sure to be the holiday classic, A Christmas Story. It doesn't get much bigger than that. It's an iconic film. It follows the Parker family and young Ralphie Parker in particular during his Christmas quest for a famed Red Ryder carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle. I have my copy of the movie right there. A Christmas Story is a 1983 American Christmas comedy directed by Bob Clark and based on Gene Shepard's 1966 book, In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. It stars Darren McGavin, Melinda Dillon, and Peter Billingsley as Ralphie. Since 1997, a marathon of the film titled 24 Hours of Christmas Story has aired on TNT and TBS. If you turn on the TV on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day on TBS, A Christmas Story is on. So, I mean, I guarantee you've seen it. Uh, What you may not know, though, is that the house itself, which is as much a part of the film, really, as any of the characters, it's almost a character in its own right, it's not just a piece of uh, a set piece or a movie prop, but it's a real structure that actually still exists. It's located in my hometown, actually, Cleveland, Ohio, and is operating today as a museum open for tours and overnight visits. So to kick off our holiday season set of podcasts here, our guest tonight on the show is Mr. Brian Jones. Brian is the current owner and operator of the Christmas Story House and Museum. He has been nice enough to join us tonight, and we are going to explore this piece of movie magic with him. And to find out more about the opportunities to visit the museum, you can check out the website, achristmasstoryhouse.com. But for now, let's go ahead and welcome Brian to the Prove Me Wrong podcast. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. I, there's a, quite a lead in there. But what I would want to know first from you, if you don't mind, is you, right. are the, you are the current owner of the property. How did you get involved in purchasing the property? Can you kind of tell us the story of how you obtained it and decided to make it a museum? Uh, how, how far back do you want me to go? Like when I had a company, when I found out on eBay, or... Um, let's... let's Let's start with, because I, I heard something, I see the little leg lamp in the background there. Let's start with the, where, from the leg lamp, how you have sold, you sold leg lamps first, right? Yes. Yeah, so, um, my, my family always been a fan of my mom found a Christmas story in the late eighties, actually on HBO at the uh-huh. time, was on at that time. Um, and we just sat down and watched it and the instant family favorite classic, always loved it. Uh, my big dream in life was to go um, to be a jet pilot and astronaut in the Navy. Mm. Uh, obviously, well, they're not astronauts at NASA, but a jet pilot in the Navy and then move on to be an astronaut uh, at NASA. So I went to the Naval Academy, and then when I got to flight school, I failed the vision test. More than a little disappointed, my parents, I got reassigned to be an intelligence officer, which, you know, it's not being a pilot. It was okay, uh, but more than a little bummed. I'd worked all my life for this. I'd want to be that since I was a little kid. So they, I mean, they're just trying to think of something trying to cheer me up, gag gift or whatever. And so somehow they settled on that, that they should make me a major award for dealing with my life's disappointment well, <laughs> or just something to cheer me up. So they went uh, frame by frame, made, you know, got the picture for a crate and made it like, like I'm looking at it right now. It's still in my office. I still have it. And sent it to me just kind of as a gag gift, cheer you up joke. And I thought it was awesome. I was like, where'd you get this? And they're like, get that. You know, nobody makes those. We had to, you know, this is 1998. We had to make it ourselves. So they went down to the garment district, got a leg, a, a fishnet stocking, and a garter, all that stuff, and, and sent it to me with not telling me. And it shows up. I'm like, what's this? And so I thought it was really cool. And my mom just offhandedly says, you know, that, that other people were interested, you know, it, and that would make a decent business, making and selling leg lamps. Well, leaving the Naval Academy, I owe six years from my Naval Academy education. 
So I don't think anything of it. I've never run a business. Um, so I go off and do my first tour, get in my second tour, and I'm like, yeah, the name's not for me. I, I didn't sign up to be an Intel officer. I wanted to be a pilot, so I'm going to do something else. And I looked at all kinds of stuff. I'm like, I do this or that. I'd always heard owning your own business was the deal. You know, you yeah. can do your own thing. You know, you, you felt just more connected to it. You know, way to, you know, to make more money. Uh, probably also a way to lose a lot of money, but I was hoping for the make more money part, yeah. which has turned out um, pretty well. And so I was just sitting there one day, and I was like, I looked at a bunch of other stuff, I had running, running Home Depots, uh, working at a corporate job, doing taxes, doing real estate. And I was sitting there, ah, I should run my own business. I'm like, what should I do? I'm like, they said, I should sell leg laps. My buddy was sitting next to me. He's like, I'll build you a website. He was a computer science <laughs> manager who just built one for his dad's flooring store. And so I was like, okay. And so then I figured out what you had to do to make a little corporation in the state of California. And I just started figuring out all the parts I needed and started tooling together leg lamps in my condo. So I had leg lamps stacked everywhere. They're stacked here, they're stacked there. Um, and it would just basically make them out of my condo and ship them at the corner. And this is 2003. I'm still in the Navy. I'm just kind of moonlighting, seeing how this will do. But then it did well enough. I made sold 500 the first year, which I was like, that's pretty good. Yeah. So I got out of the Navy the following year, uh, September of 2004. Things were going really well. I had, I had a made overseas. I had about 2,100 lamps and yeah, it's probably about three years supply. I sold almost all of them that year. At the same time, my wife was on deployment to the Middle East. The captain of her wife's ship noticed the listing. I'm not sure exactly sure how that a Chris story was for sale on eBay because he knew what I did for a living. And it's just thought it was kind of interesting. The executive officer purchased a leg lamp for his stateroom. It's kind of a joke. So I think he's trying to figure out, hey, what's more what's more about this? At first, he thought I saw lava lamps. I had to tell him, no, no, leg lamps. Like, right. what? Yeah, I thought it was funny. So she just kind of emailed me like five or six days after he had told her, I kept passing her, hey, hey, you got to send this to your husband. He'd even print something out and send it up to the bridge while she's driving the ship in the middle of the night. So finally, she's like, oh yeah, by the way, did you see they're selling the house for a crystal? I was like, no way. So I immediately stopped reading her email. It's just like down like, you know, in the second paragraph of her, uh, her email. I was like, no way. So I stopped right there, stopped reading her email, went right over to eBay, searched a crystal story, found a crystal story house. I was like, wow. They're asking $99,900 for it. Wow. And I was like, I'm going to buy it. I took all two seconds. First off, I had to figure out what Cleveland, Ohio was because I'm a kid from the West Coast, grew up in Hawaii, California. I'm like, I don't even know. I knew one guy from Columbus, Ohio at the Naval Academy. Where's, I've heard of the Browns, but oh, it's on a lake. This will work out. Why not? So within about 30 seconds, I uh, did a little contact seller thing to the eBay page. I said, hey, you know, my name is Brian. I'm really interested in, you know, in your house. I'd like to buy it. Here's my phone number. Gentleman called me the next day. He discussed it. He's like, he said he had the bidding up to about 115,000. I don't know if that's true because you actually couldn't bid on the listing. It was more kind of a advertisement. Yeah. So I said, well, would you take 150, which is all the money I had from selling leg lamps and whatever, and would you take 150, sell it to me now, and stop the, stop the bidding. Him and his brother owned it jointly, so they called his his brother, talked to him about it, called me back in about five minutes, said, yeah, it's yours. And so I sent him a deposit, and you know, I went out, so I bought. I bought basically a beat down rental property in Cleveland, Ohio, you know, basically across the country that at one, at one time had been in a movie. <laughs> so let me, let me back up real quick before we get into yeah, that. Yeah, because that I, kind of, I, that's a long spiel of how I ended up here. I still have questions about the leg lamp. So okay. <laughs> my, with the leg, did you actually mold the leg itself or did you actually were there just leg uh, molds already available and you just i just went to the like the hosiery department at you know the department store and yeah. just looked at and you know, figured out you know who uh who made and sold those and then tracked them down and, and ordered some we do different do it differently nowadays um yeah. you know with their custom molded and you know, with, with the specific injection molds depending on exactly which style yeah. lamp we sell different we actually sell like about four or five different styles of lamps, you know, anywhere from the what exactly would looked in the movie, which is, you know, a little more knobby knee, a little butt cheek to like a more sleeker, shorter one, yeah. you know, to just different depth top ones to night lights. So, um, as, as it's evolved. So, um, so you yeah, make, at first I just used basically a hosiery form. So you make leg lamps for personal preference. If somebody wants a little knobby knee, if somebody wants a little more in, in the rear, you can make a leg lamp for them. Yep. That, did you have to, did you have to get permission for that, or did you you didn't market it as a Christmas story leg lamp? Did you just say it's a leg lamp? Th- that it was took what me a while to get per- permission. Uh, I do have a licensing agreement with Warner Brothers uh, Consumer okay. Products, which is you know the com- the Consumer Products division of the mm-hmm. studio. But it, it basically took buying the house and opening it, and making it a big deal for them to get you know 
give me basically give me the time of day because I'm sure they get lots of people like, hey, I want I want a license agreement, I want yeah. this and that, and then you get into the the finances of how much it costs. And most people are like, probably, yeah, never mind. <laughs> but you know, so by by that time the business is running well, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I can meet those and do this. And so um, I think when I first started out, no, I didn't have a licensing agreement. I'd been contacting the studio to try and get one. I just it's a big studio. I just been missing you know people, and then finally I got in contact with a guy who had a license who was selling licensed t-shirts. He's like, well, this is the lady you need to talk to. I'm like, so I finally wrote her. She's like, well, I haven't been able to talk to you because you haven't written us. I was like, I've written you guys like two or three letters. Like, keep getting these, you know, things back to say, hey, it's okay, but not really. She's like, oh, that's entirely different here. Let me help you out. So, so it all, in the end, it all worked out. Do you own the rights to the leg lamp? I mean, do you own the rights to all the, I'm just asking that because we actually have a leg lamp nightlight in our house right now. It was a little, a little nightlight of the leg lamp. That we use year round. That we use year round. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you own that, or is that just? No, that's for the copyright for the design. The movie's owned by the studio, okay. and we license the rights to make lamps. And then the biggest thing that the licensing is is to basically associate with elements and properties of the of the movie. Okay. You know, call it a Christmas story leg lamp as opposed to just a leg lamp, or it also use a design similar to the one. Okay. Because actually, that one that leg lamp was designed specifically for the movie by Ruben Freed. He was a set designer, so he actually made it for that because the leg lamp actually appeared in an earlier Gene Shepard PBS show and looks nothing like the one you see in a Christmas story. So wow. in that way, if you make one similar to what it is in the movie, you know, there's certain copyrights involved. Okay. I got my leg lamp fix. So <laughs> uh, but I but I when I heard that you sold a leg lamp, it just opened up all these questions about the leg lamp. <laughs> Because, we sell lung suits, BB guns, all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's a it's the character of its on, on its own in the movie, right? I mean, it really yeah. is one of the best scenes in the movies when you know he's he's got his major award and he's pulling out the the packing materials and you could see the the consternation in the mother's face. What's happening? And he pulls that leg out. I mean, that's one of the greatest scenes maybe in in any movie. I mean, that's awesome. But so when you were able to purchase this property, you said it was basically just a rundown rental property. So they had not at that point really taken advantage of any type of notoriety from the movie at all? It was just a, a rental unit? Yeah, uh, Al Barbaric, he was the guy I bought it from. He lived in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm -hmm. His brother actually died of a heart attack in the bar across the street. And that's how the two brothers, came, the two other brothers came to inherit it. And he knew what it was. Um, Al was just kind of a private person. He didn't even want to let the news know that, you know, the house was for sale. And he had a friend who was dabbling in real estate, kind of helped him set it up with the eBay thing. And actually, even a story... Um, the gentleman who played Flick, Scott Schwartz, was uh -huh. also interested in the house, but they missed each other at a Cleveland movie card, movie, baseball card, movie collectible show. Because when Al showed up there, Scott wasn't on the list because he signed up late. So Al didn't think he was there, even though Scott was there. And, and then this whole thing. And so then he's like, he just went home. He's like, yeah, instead of going in to see if he was, he's just like, okay, I guess he's not here. I'll go home. And then that's how it ended up on eBay. And that's how I found it. So I beat Flick out for the house and sort of just by chance. And we weren't both bidding against each other. Yeah. Just that, you know, and I'm sure for him too, he was like, what am I going to do with this house? And I'm sure it's, it's a house from the movie and it's in Cleveland, Ohio. needs a lot of work, you know, so. You said you basically took all the money you had to purchase the house. Yes. What more, I mean, it had to cost a substantial amount to then re remodel that into the movie version. I mean, how long did that take? Was it always the idea that I was going to make that you were going to make this into a museum? Were you not sure what to do with it initially? Yeah, I, I just, I, at first I wasn't sure what, what am I going to do with this house. And by the way, that yeah. money was supposed to be used for down payment for our own house in California. And my wife, I didn't even tell her I was going to buy the house. Okay. I just bought it the next day and then I wrote, I emailed her back said the house is mine. She wrote me something back like, yeah, I'm very funny. I'm like, no, no, I really bought it. And I got one line back from her said, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. <laughs> and then I had to write this big, long email about how it's going to work out, how it's great for the business and the next step forward. And, you know, I figured, hey, even if it didn't go well, I'd get my money back out of it. But it, so basically, but after that, once I got, I went and saw the house December 28th of 2004. I finally got there. A couple of days after Christmas, my mm -hmm. sister and I went out to Cleveland. And I, I, at first I wasn't sure, you know, bed and breakfast pops into your head at first. Yeah. I mean, of course, make them. Then my thoughts are, well, you can only have one one person or family a night staying there. Then I thought, okay, a museum, we'll, we'll replicate it outside what it looked like in the movie. You know, basically, it had been updated with vinyl windows, vinyl siding. I'm like, I'll redo it back to the wood siding um, and, and, you know, older windows. And then we'll make it like a movie in, or like a museum inside. It tells about how the movie was made, posters, etc. Yeah. Uh, but then when I got there and actually was, saw the house, uh, made a wrong turn, and finally got, oh, there it is. 
And it, like I said, what well, you could still see it kind of under the vinyl. Like that's the, and there was one column still yellow. I was like, wow, that's cool. So I'm like, wow, this is neat. So I'm tromping through the snow, we go see the shed in the back. Mind you, somebody already still lives there renting the place, having the luck getting a good shot. Running around, it's like, oh, this is cool. Like I'm in the movie. Uh, that, that's when it dawned on me, like, wow, what if we, you could replicate it inside and outside and be like you were visiting the Parker's home yes. and just they are, they're out maybe getting a Christmas tree or something like that. And so that, that, was, that was basically kind of my third iteration. And that's what I, what, I, what I stuck on. And then it ended up at the house across the street, which was sale. So we turned that into the museum piece and basically the house back into kind of a, I don't know, tour, kind of live it out, kind of an, an attraction more than just the museum itself. So the house itself, you said it was a it was a duplex. Did it not have? Uh, it didn't even have stairs going up going up to the second floor. No, I actually had it. So there was a bedroom off of it. We actually cut a hole in the ceiling up to the second floor and recreated the stairs and sides. Because there are scenes that were done in the house, uh, but a lot of it was shot on a soundstage just to get the big cameras and things and get the right angle. Um, and you can kind of see back and forth which scenes are shot in the house and which are a good example is when Ralphie is shooting Black Bart, they're all in a huddle under the table and there's this interesting design in the middle. It's not just black uh, or brown and white checkered squares. So that, but then later that design's not there. Also, when he climbs up on the sink, there's no cabinets underneath. But then later, little brother Randy's crying under the sink. So the Black Bart scene was shot in the house along with some of the leg lamp scenes. So there were a few in the house, but most most of the stuff was done on a sound stage later. So what I try to do is put the sound stage back into the house to make it feel like you are in the movie and that you are in Ralphie's house. Wow. And so how long did it take to get all the renovation done and go ahead and open up that process? And then what was the reception when you first started? Uh, how did you notify people that it was happening? It took about two years. Basically, we had a gut the entire inside and all the mechanicals and redo things. I mean, I put a, pulled a whole industrial dumpster full of trash out of the basement. Uh, the upstairs, when I got it, was to, in the middle of renovation all the way to the studs. Uh, all the mechanicals were kind of halfway done. So we had to redo all the electrical, the plumbing, everything, um, all the floors. Uh, it's, it's almost like basically you take the skeleton and then rebuilt the house out around it. I had to take off the vinyl, put um, wood siding back on. Uh, vinyl windows had to come out. So there's a lot of stuff. It ended up costing $240,000 to renovate the house. So, you know, <laughs> a good, even more than what it costs to acquire the house. Wow. Um, wow. We opened the day after Thanksgiving in 2006. What was it like the first day? Well, so when you first opened up, you know, was it just kind of a trickle at that point? How long did it take to really uh, catch hold and, and have people really start coming from, because you know, right now people are coming from all over the world to see this property, right? I, I got I got really blessed with our opening, the way it went. I had a gentleman who was also an entrepreneur, but on a PR company. He agreed. I, I was I was out of money by the time we got it open. Wow. Um, yeah, especially, you know, new company starting out, still just a couple of years into it. He agreed to do the PR in order to be paid after um, the house opened. Because I'm like, I don't have the money to pay for this now. He's like, well, I'll take it after. And then he also tried to do some stuff for legal app promotions and that kind of helped and we agree to split some funds and whatever. So he was basically, hey, I'll take it on the chance, you know, be paid a minimum after the fact. What can somebody do now when they go into the property? So when they go in the house, now it's been completely renovated. It looks like the movie itself. What are you able to do when you go in? I mean, are you able to sit on the couch and sit on the bed? Are you able to get under the cabinet like uh, Randy when he was afraid that the old man was going to kill Ralphie? Yeah, and I forgot to mention too, it was like a 75 degree day in Cleveland, Ohio, the yeah. day after Thanksgiving, when it should be like, you know, in the 20s, 30s, 40s, if you're lucky. That's Beautiful okay. sunny day, like I was opening in the middle of summer. So we had like four or 5,000 people. Oh, for the sure. The line to get in was four hours, three or four people deep all the way down the block. So that was just amazing. Um, I'm sure if, you know, we had snow or rain, it would have been much more of a, an issue. <laughs> Uh, so when you go to the house, we ba we basically, it starts in the gift shop, which is across the street diagonally. And Crystal House is actually a campus. We have four buildings on like six different properties, a couple parking lots. So there, there's kind of a little, when you get there, there's things to go see. Uh, or, 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 where do I start? So you start in the gift shop. We give you a little spiel as we come, come across and basically, you know, why they chose Cleveland, why they chose this house, um, the history of it. Things, uh, things, interesting things about how, how it was filmed, you know, why Bob Clark wanted to do it, how he got it made, who Gene Shepard was, because a lot of people just aren't aware of any of this stuff. 
a little bit about how I how, how I purchased the house because that's an interesting story that most people aren't aware of. Mm-hmm. So we give you about 15 minutes there, and then you're free to roam around. Unlike Graceland, where everything's kind of behind a rope because it really was Elvis's house, this has all been a recreation. We've, we've worked to get all the props that are very similar or the exact same thing, but they weren't the ones on set, so you can touch and feel everything. We've got a leg lamp and a crate. You can pick up with a pretty cool picture, a picture next to the leg lamp. You can sell the couch. The radio is generally playing some little Orphan Annie. Uh, the Christmas tree is there. We, get a, we, got, we got the props of the trucks, the fire trucks the kids got Christmas morning, the dad's blue bowling ball. And it, it, funny, it never dawned on me when I was making the house or renovating it back that people would want to crawl in their sink. It's obvious. <laughs> But it, so <laughs> people start doing that. We had to repair the cabinets like four times because we hadn't made the hinges strong enough. Because people will lean on that to lean in to get a picture. But it, it's pretty wide, big. I'm 6'3", 200 pounds. I can fit underneath there. Yeah. We took some of the piping out eventually just because you don't need the, the sink to really work. And so people wouldn't bang their heads on, on things like that. The whole kitchen's redone to look exactly like the movie. And then you go upstairs, there's Rafi and Randy's bed. We've redone the bathroom, so there's the decoder pen. You can sit there do the decoder pen if you want to put the life boy soap that we have there in your mouth. It's as bad as it, it you would think it was in the movie. He was not kidding. It has this odor that you can tell, and it tastes terrible. But there's still teeth marks in it because people have to uh, have to do that. So it's just kind of you see, and you see people just kind of living out the scenes of the movie, and that's yeah. what it, it's so basically. So you can just like the same time when I first got there, you can kind of step into the set. And think, oh yeah live out which brings you closer to your favorite movie so you had mentioned you you, in passing there about how it came to cleveland and i live in florida now but i'm from cleveland and the first time i saw that movie it looks so familiar to me i mean that looks like those outside shots that's that's cleveland yeah that's public square Square, exactly and i kind of saw like man i've been there a thousand times and i was a kid in the early 80s in cleveland it was just so homey to me and maybe that's what part of the nostalgia for me is that every year i see that it still takes me right back there to when i was a kid in the early 80s in cleveland when it all looked that way what uh what was the thought process because i know they split time in toronto and in cleveland why did they settle on cleveland for um the external shots uh it was actually the uh higby's department store Oh, okay. Why. So they they went so they're also looking for a Midwest kind of steel town. Yeah. Gene Shepard was the author. He grew up in Hammond, Indiana, which is a big steel town. If you watch some of his PBS stuff or anything, that that's a big part of his childhood and his life. Uh, they they kind of looked at Hammond, but the the um, department store wasn't a fit, and so they went they made it to Cleveland. It, this department store looked you know had the right look, and then. Um, they were the only department store that agreed because what they wanted to do is build this giant Santa mountain in the middle of the department store. And then also every day you have to take the 1983 merchandise down at night yeah. and put up the 1940s merchandise. And then when you're done filming three merchandise, you know, so up, down, up, down for like three weeks. And one of the vice presidents there agreed to take on the project. And an interesting side note to that is also, Gene Shepard's work and the way it sound is it was very much more Christmas vacation-esque for the some curse words that yeah. were in there. And the Higby company said they couldn't be associated with a movie that had those kind that kind of language. Oh wow. So they allowed the, the vice president to go through with a red pen and take out all of the all of that stuff. So like the dad cursing or whatever was more actually cursing. And now it's like but no actual curse words. But so, that's funnier, quite honestly. Yeah, so it makes it funnier. It also makes it so you have a wider audience that can see it. So kids that are younger, even though you can get a little bit of some, a couple, you know, words about the bumpus hounds in there. The the way he, he gets a couple words hit. But like, oh, fudge really was, oh, fudge. Not, yeah. not you know, just rolled out, you know, so that everybody could watch the movie. So that makes a big difference on the audience. And so sure. um, Bruce but, Campbell was his name. I met him once and he talked about that. Told me all the stories about how he how he got that developed and how you know they were able to do this and a lot of people who were you know who were extras on set were employees and you know all the trials and tribulations of getting that up and down and making that happen and so then it was just a natural extension the house is five minutes from downtown and from Higby so they just you know scouts went out from basically downtown to find a house the Christian house is on a perfect little T. Yeah, uh, that you can just kind of come to it. Also, there's an empty lot next door, so you can just get that night. That opening shot's a nice panorama of there's my house on Cleveland Street. Also, if you read the script, there's there's a steel mill behind it. You don't see it in the movie, but some of the opening scenes are the kids running past the slag pile or past the steel mill because 
Gene Shepard kind of wanted that look and, and you know, to be true to his his childhood and, and how Hammond in Indiana was. Did you have a question, Christina? I just had a, a question. I know it just popped in my head, but has your family ever spent Christmas there? In the I house? might spent Christmas there. We spent the night. But not Christmas. Not Christmas, no. no. <laughs> I would totally spend Christmas there. <laughs> no, it, it would be fun for sure. At least once. But but to your point with the swearing, I, I think that the way that Darren McGavin played that and, and the Dag Nabbit and all, and all that just grumbling that you knew was profanity, but you couldn't actually hear it. That was hysterical. That was so yeah. funny. So that, it's even funny in and of itself. Yes. It's kind of, you know, you can, but, you know, but it, like I said, if it had been the other way, it's, it's, it's not as cute. It's not as funny. No, it's just, no, no. No. Yeah. Well, and I also, I just, I just figured out today, or I found out today that Jack Nicholson was also, had also read over the script and was interested in the part of the old man originally. And boy, am I glad that he did not get that. I mean, I just think it's very different. Oh man, it would change the whole movie. You know, Jack Nicholson's great, but he's always Jack Nicholson. He always kind of does a a version of himself. Whereas Darren, uh, one of my critiques of most movies like that is usually they make the dad an idiot. You know, the dad's an idiot. The mom is is super competent and and knows everything and runs the house. And this had a little bit of that, but then when it came right down to it, dad was the one that saved the day. So they redeemed dad at the end of the movie. That's why I love it because I think in a lot of those cases, they would just let dad continue to be a buffoon. And, you know, mom was sharp as a whip and she was so funny in that, in that movie as well. But they redeemed it for me because they let dad be the hero at the end. Mom didn't want to buy the, the red rider. Dad got it for him. Dad picked up on the clues, even though he acted completely oblivious. So, I mean, that was just tremendous to me. Um, you also have the the Bumpus house now, right? I mean, is that isn't that yeah. a part of your property now? Is the Bumpuses? Yeah, that's to the left. So it is where the Bumpus house was in the opening of a Christmas story. Uh, the lady who lived there for since I think the seventies, she finally passed away, and her daughter wanted something special for her mom's house. I agreed to buy it. I said, "Hey, we'll turn it into the Bumpus house. You know, it'd be kind of something fun." Joyce had always liked sitting out on the porch and greeting people and you know, yeah. talking to people about what was going on. You know, a little bit of activity in the neighborhood. So, uh, so we have that. Now that is over for overnight stays, both upstairs and downstairs. And that obviously doesn't show up in the movie. So is that also made out in, a, in the 40s? Uh, yeah, so it, yeah. it's kind of a, you know, how do you describe it? It's got, a, it's got a 40s feel to it with kind of modern conveniences, okay. but we definitely kept it with 40s you know all the bathrooms are black and white tiles and just you know it's got all the wood floors the, the setup the decor is all 1940s with a flat screen tv any thought <laughs> to where do you keep the 675 dogs yeah the 785 <laughs> yeah. smelly hounds where where do they stay yeah yeah we, we, unfortunately it's like no hound dogs because you know you know hound dogs are hound dogs yeah create a problem and last thing i need is somebody to get bit by a hound dog <laughs> Is there any plan? And I'm just throwing it out there because from every indication I got, Flick and Schwartz lived on the same street and there is is no direct, hey, this was Flick's house or this was Schwartz's house. So you could really kind of pick and choose which one of those houses you yeah. want. And suddenly you've got the entire Christmas story neighborhood. That's just me. You, you can have that one for free, Brian. But um, that, just an idea that always stuck to me, boy, all of a sudden you've got them all. And then you've got an entire neighborhood of Christmas story. That would be fabulous. I don't know if that's ever, you know, anybody ever came to you and, and had that idea. Yeah, no, we, we try to keep the neighborhood the neighborhood, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and an actual neighborhood. Yeah, um, as yeah. opposed to like, I think if you started to buy up too many properties, it becomes more of an amusement park and not That's real. true. You use some of the, uh, and I have had people who offer to sell me their houses at different times. I was like, what, what, what do I do? And this, a lot of this was before um, BRBO and Airbnb came mm-hmm. up. I'm like, what do I do with these houses? If I buy them, they just become real properties and, Owning houses is a lot of money, and there's always something to fix. And I was just kind of like, wasn't really sure what we'd do with them. So I passed on a couple of those. So the property across the street is the museum. How did you get a lot of the artifacts that you have in the museum? How did you obtain those? Were those given? Do you have a relationship with the movie studio that helps provide some of those things? Or have you had to go out on your own and do that? No. So a lot of this stuff actually finds me. So people okay. find out you, you're doing the Chris Story House and then they'll, somehow they'll contact you, like one of the cars from the movie that's the same model as the one the family had. It's not the exact one they used for the family, but the same model of car. The guy who contacted me, I was like, oh, cool. It's, it was in the movie. Great. You know, it looks like the same. So it sets the scene. Yeah. Uh, the costumes, uh, I was just talking to a guy in Canada. He was doing a, a documentary called Road Trip for Ralphie. And he was going to all the places that they filmed the Christmas story, looking up all the old 
um, licenses and permits to film and going to diff different places. And then he just came down and he, he just looked through the credits and down there it says Thunder Thighs Costumes, Linda Kemp. And so he just goes to the, calls her up and like, looks her up and says, like, you don't by any chance have, you know, any costumes for Chris story. This is a, a quarter century later, mind yeah. Oh yeah, I have all of those in here. There's whatever I can find. Plus she had this binder. She has this, I have this yellow binder that I purchased from her. Has all of her notes, all these Polaroids to keep consistency. Because mind you, they'll film in Cleveland, and three weeks later they're going to film on the set. So it's got to be the same clothes. And right. It, it's a, it's an amazing just treasure trove of how the movie was made and the little behind the scenes things that most people don't anticipate went on. So yeah, I went up there. She had costumes everywhere. I even have the two costumes from Flash Gordon and Ming the Merciless. So if you watch the credits closely, at the end, Flash Gordon and Ming the Merciless still get their credit lines, but it was a fantasy sequence. That was cut, that where Ralphie's saving Flash Gordon from being the merciless yeah. with his BB gun. He's in the space cowboy outfit. So we have those on display. And that's one of those cool things. That guy at the same time was helping out with the Victoria School in uh, in Toronto, and they're tearing it down. So he got Miss Shields' chalkboard. Well, they were renovating it to turn it into a woman's shelter instead of a school. So he got Mrs. Shields' chalkboard or door for the museum. Just stuff, you know, kind of, and then uh, people who grew up in Cleveland, the 80s, like, oh, yeah, I had shots of the gentleman down the street. Uh, his yeah. name was Jim Rolovitz. He delivered the crate in the movie. Uh, so another funny story about why the crate is, is kind of smaller and some of the letters are missing from it. But he had all his pictures from when it was going on, pieces of the script. Things just kind of tend to find out. Then our fans pointed out that some that one of the prop um, companies was selling one of the BB guns. So, you know, I purchased that. So... Things just kind of tend to find me. So I didn't know what to say, but a fan on our Facebook page said, hey, yeah. have you seen this? Like, well, we'll take that. So, <laughs> And you can purchase, can you purchase the bunny suit there at the, yeah, at the sell shop? Fun. So yeah, those are two things I don't have. I don't have the cowboy suit and the bunny suit. Uh, and that, we have one of the BB guns, Peter Billings, he has those. The one, a BB gun, a bunny suit, and um, the cowboy suit. He got to keep those from the movie. Uh, but yeah, we sell we sell replica bunny suits, replica yeah. hats. You know, if, if you can think of it, you know, we have it in our gift shop. And have the uh, the actors that were in the movie have they come back? I mean, have they done personal appearances? Do they did they help when you opened up? Have they come back? Yeah. So we, we when I was first starting out, probably oh oh five maybe to like I think oh, two thousand thirteen. We used to hold conventions, Christmas story conventions, and we had the actors out, and you could come meet the actors. Mm -hmm. They do autographs for a fee. Uh, and just, you know, that was just kind of part of the thing where, you, you know, it was kind of cool to meet the, meet the guys, you know, who are kids or now adults. Uh, people would love to get, you know, a picture of Scott Farkas getting bullied. You know, yeah. He did this. Uh, say, say uncle. Uh, so we would do those. So, yeah, they came out. Uh, I had a bunch of them out for um, the, the grand opening and then for, for the conventions, both before and after the grand opening. You know, and we get probably four or five thousand people who come out. We hosted one of the hotels in downtown, right in Public Square, so you'd be right next to Higby's and see the whole Public Square area. And you know, we do trolleys back and forth between the house and the hotel. Obviously, the bulk of the interest probably comes around the holiday season, but you're open all year round, correct? We are. Uh, you know, coronavirus has been interesting, but uh, yeah. we yeah. <laughs> uh, so we've actually recently shut down for two days out of the week. Um, we'll probably open that back up to five days a week. Um, but yeah, so December is obviously our best month. Mm -hmm. know, my number, but we do a really good business during summer because people are on summer vacation. They're coming through Cleveland looking for something to do. Hey, we'll, we'll be back here later. That's my favorite movie. So we'll, we'll have full pack days where every tour is sold out in July and August. There were a couple of sequels to Christmas Story, and I don't know. I've never actually seen them, quite honestly, but there was one that was a summer story. Were those, was, was the house actually associated with either one of those movies? The house was in um, I, My Summer Story, which is basically the sequel that was yeah. filmed in 94, so 11 years after. And kind of to your point earlier, uh, Charles Grodin plays the father, and he's just, he's just kind of the bumbling fool. Yeah, exactly. So they just kind of bring it back to where, like, hey, dad's really smart. He's just kind of, you know, doing his own thing and just yes. you know, you know, kind of letting mom run the house. He's, you know, he's been working all day, so like, hey. I don't want to, be, you know, I just want to sit down and relax after work all day. I mean that, uh, but yeah, yeah, that was a little different. It's okay. And then they did, um, they, later they did a Christmas story too, which was a straight to DVD, just terrible you know, <laughs> thing. And it, it's, that one was actually filmed, um, up in Canada and they used a different house and a different oh. set. It, it doesn't look anything like it. It was basically, if you really want my opinion, it was just a money grab to be like, 
the curiosity factor. Oh, Christmas story too. Okay. Yeah. Like, oh, this will be eight. And people will see it like, man, that was terrible. You're worse off for seeing it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, especially because the last 20 years has really seen that movie just explode. And so at yeah. some point, you know, when the movie explodes now, okay, how can we make money off of this? Yeah. Whereas if it had been that big of a hit right off the bat, they may have had that movie two years later versus 15, 20 years later yeah. and, and been able to have the same cast. And yeah, you're right. Um, I can't imagine anybody in that father role other than Darren McGavin. I cannot. And I can't imagine anybody in the mother role yeah, other good. than Melinda Dillon, too. I mean, she was just spot on, perfect, beautiful in that movie. I mean, to this day, you quote her. Weekly. I quote her. I do. I quote her <laughs> weekly to the point where I was talking with uh, a friend of mine the other day and he was wearing a band and we were playing the music. And I told him that one of the drums beats that he did was wasn't right. And he's like, I know the song. I was like, well, I know the song too. You know, and then that was directly, <laughs> that was directly a Melinda Dillon reference. I do it all yeah. the time because her lines were the best. Yeah, um, subtle but obvious. Oh my goodness. It was so good. Can we talk just for a minute? And I just have a couple more questions about staying overnight, the, the, the reservation process. And, and um, you've opened it up now. It used to be something that you only did maybe once a year. Yeah, we used to just do Christmas Day and Christmas Eve, but we've opened it up. So. And so what is involved in, if you wanted to stay there, uh, what do we have to do and what do you get when you're able to stay? Uh, we have a reservation system uh, that you can book. So we have the Christory House where you get the house basically from a, you, you, there's a third floor lot. So most people don't know it's really actually two and a half stories. And also the back half of the second, I didn't know what to do with it. I thought it, when I, you know, when I'm renovating in 2005, Okay, what do we do with this? You know, do I really spend the money to put the parents' room in there? But there's only seen once, so, and it was right. already a kitchen, so I just kept it a modern kitchen. I think maybe a curator would live and stay and work on property. And then up, upstairs, there's a whole living room, bedroom on the front, and then a full bathroom on the back. So there, it's basically, and it's modern, a little touch of, but of, you know, 40s, but more definitely more modern. So when you check in, you get at 11, you get that the entire time you're there. And then you get the rest of the house from about a half hour after you close to 5.30 to about 9 o'clock the next morning when we go to open. So, And if you come on a day when we're closed, you get the whole house all day if you want. Oh, wow. Which is part of why Christmas Eve and Christmas Day are, are you know, a, a big deal because you can just have the whole house on Christmas morning because we're closed on Christmas. And then the Bumpus house next door, you get you get your whatever place. We have both a, 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 a place downstairs and then a two-story loft loft upstairs you can rent the whole house if you want there's a door that interchanges to unlock both sides and you can go in, into it or you can just rent either the upstairs or the downstairs and on our uh, website chrisstoryhouse.com you can just go to like the little stay or stay overnight section and there's a whole reservation area there so you're not there for the day-to-day -day. you have actual tour yeah. guides that are there what kind of stories do you get from the tour guides in terms of people how far away are people coming to, to visit the the house. I mean, I, I did actually hear, I heard a, a, a podcast where one of your tour guides was talking about this group came from Australia just to watch, just to go to the house. They came from Australia to the United States just to come to the Christmas story to house. Cleveland. To Cleveland. Yeah. They went all the way to Cleveland for that. Yeah. We call those people Ralphies. Yeah. <laughs> we have Trekkies, we have Ralphies. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but in, in a good way. Um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a bad thing. Uh, no, I, we, I mean, I've seen places from South Africa. We used to have a pin map up that you could put where, and it was from everywhere all over yeah. the world. And, you know, some people come to Cleveland, they're doing other things and they stop by the house. But we do have a lot of people, they are there just to see a Christmas house. They've made the plan, they've got the tickets, the hotel room, and they, they're there just to see a Christmas story house. Um, that's really cool. When you've got something yeah. like that, people are like, hey, I, I've traveled halfway around the world just to see this place. I'm like, that's awesome. And that kind of dovetails into my, my final question of the night was these people are coming across the world to see something, to see a property that was just in a movie. It was, it was a movie property. Why do you think that this house and this film has endured and just maybe asking from your fandom so much after, you know, it's been almost 40 years since it's been released and people are still coming from across the world to see it. What is it about this particular movie in terms of, I mean, I know how it makes me feel when I watch it, quite honestly, but in your opinion, what is the enduring legacy of A Christmas Story? Uh, I think a lot of it, you can credit Bob Clark. He was, he was the director. And I think yeah. he, and talking to the actors when they made the film, he looked to try and get just like real reactions. Like when you see Randy laughing and cackling there at the table, that's Bob Clark jumping in, tickling him, jumping out of the scene and trying to catch that. When the kids are sleeping at the end, he really waited, waited for them to fall asleep. I also think it's about your childhood. And so it's basically yeah. a lot of um, Gene Shepard's little short stories of his childhood. 
And what really, so you got, you know, being bullied, wanting to get, you know, this one thing, getting super disappointed, uh, you know, every, all that stuff, you know, happened to kids. And then it's also, it's not the perfect Christmas. Not like, oh yeah, everything was great. We lost the turkey. I didn't think I was going <laughs> to get what I wanted and I did get what I wanted. And hey, they were all right. I did shoot my eye out. Uh, but in the end, everything was okay. Even though everything wasn't perfect, uh, you know, we, it all worked out well. I mean, there's just a little anecdotes like the dad popping the fuse or the furnace. Just yes, we're, we're trying to enjoy Christmas and Christmas isn't perfect, but we're still having a good time. But I think it is basically you can even I grew up in Hawaii. You can still relate to all the childhood uh, events that go on. And I think getting dared to do something stupid and the, the peer pressure sticking your tongue to a frozen pole, you know, it's a bad idea, but you just can't get out of the pressure of having to do it or else you're going to lose a lot of face and be like, oh, he didn't do it. So I think you just, you, the great thing I think it endures is you can, when the marathon comes on, you don't have to watch the movie all the way through to understand everything that's going on in the plot. It's almost yeah. like little vignettes. There's a right. flagpole scene, there's a Scott Barkas scene, there's the, you know, getting getting a C plus, there's the first time you got a crummy commercial and you realize how real the world, so you can <laughs> come in and just watch one little scene and then, and then move on to this or open something or go help out in the kitchen. So I think that's what really makes it like a perfect quintessential, you know, marathon or Christmas movies that it kind of just kind of sets the background tone. You don't have to always, you I can always usually watch it all the way through once yes. and then it's on all the rest of the day and you just kind of watch little pieces here and there. And I think you're right. It is, it does alternate so beautifully between Ralphie's point of view where like even, even these poor people, the, the Santa Claus scene when they're carrying him up there to get on Santa Claus's lap. And then from his point of view, they seem so mean and almost, you know, <laughs> uh, so mean spirited and scary. But then you, there's a little shot of the Santa and the elf talking, and they're just like, "Oh man, if you expect me to stay one minute past, oh, you know, you could just they're just normal people from yeah. their point of view." But from Ralphie's point of view, it's weird, and it's still, and the woman's very mean to him. So you can feel that, you get it, because we've all been there as children. We we look at somebody and we're like, "Oh, that person's mean." No, they're not. They're not mean. Maybe he's been sitting on that chair for eight hours and he's tired and he, he doesn't want to do it anymore. But yeah, I I agree with you 100%. Everything you said there, personally. Thank you so much, Brian, for joining the show tonight. I really appreciate it, sharing the history, kicking off our holiday season set of podcasts here. Again, I growing up in Cleveland, as soon as I saw that, and I actually learned not to put my tongue on a flagpole from that movie. I mean, I, again, I was only <laughs> yeah, I 10. I was 10 when it came out. So, I mean, I was right there in that, in that, that age, you know, with them. So that's when I, I learned don't do that. Anything else that's going on that, that I might have uh, missed or anything else that, that the property offers that you'd like to take just another moment and, and discuss before we go? No, I think we covered it pretty well. Okay. I don't know, just, um, that's what a Christopher house is. It's kind of a fun experience. No doubt. So, but you are on Facebook and Instagram? We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. We got it all. Okay. And once again, to find out more information about visiting the museum or booking your reservations at A Christmas Story House, you can also visit com right? Yep. Uh, thank right. you so much, Brian. Once again, we really appreciate you taking the time, spend some time with us and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again. Okay. Thank Sounds you. Good. Thank you. All right, Christina. Uh, Brian Jones, Christmas Story House. Yep. Uh, talked about how the renovation, how he found the property. Uh, I was crazy how right? much he had to put into it. He had to put more money into it than it was worth. Well, I'm sure he made that back. <laughs> well, I was surprised. He's talking about 4,000 people there on the opening day. I was surprised when he was talking about that it was a duplex, you know, so that that's movie magic. You <laughs> know what I mean? Movie, movie magic. magic. The movie makes you feel like it's just a regular house. You go through the house and you go up the stairs and you're upstairs. But in reality, there were no upstairs. Right. You know, you had one apartment on the bottom floor, one apartment on the top floor. So, I mean, I get it when he says he goes there for the first time and sees it and it's covered in different siding right. and it doesn't look like the property. I mean, I don't know for a second there. I would have a little bit of hesitancy. I'm like, what the hell did I just put my he money already, in? He already bought it. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he did. He get to hesitate. He, he did buy it. He owned it at that point for sure. But, he, you know, he's, I think he said it took like 240000 to get it where yes. he could actually open up as a museum. Go ahead. I, uh, it being in Cleveland, I can't believe you never saw it. I have never gone to it. That's for sure. Well, by the time it was opened up as a museum, I was no longer living in Cleveland. I know, but we still lived in Ohio. I can't True. believe we didn't go. True. Uh, yeah. By that time, I mean, we could have taken the kids there. Yeah. Yeah, because it opened sure. in 2005. The kids were both born at that point. 
Yeah. They would have enjoyed it for sure. You'd have to go in the winter, though. You do have to go when and there's that's snow. That's the problem. Because Cleveland. Oh. You absolutely have it's to go. It's so cold in Cleveland. You have to go when there's snow, though. You have to be a part of the snow because it's just that's what makes Christmas Christmas for sure. Yeah. But I would love to go and, and see it. I would love to see. Uh, I, I could have probably talked to him about the artifacts and the memorabilia that's in the shop for quite a bit longer. I get mired in the details. You do. I get down into the, you know, what oh, what photos do you have? And, and Well, you'll have to go and see. We'll have to go. Yeah. Well, because you know uh, a lot like the, the Santa we were talking about and the elf he was talking to, they were just Cleveland extras that were in the movie. I didn't realize when you guys said Higby's. I didn't know that Higby's was, I thought maybe like that was like, Lazarus and they just called it Higby's. No, it was that Higby's was a real is a real place. It was a real place. I don't I don't know that they're still there, but the We but didn't have them in Columbus. The actual plaque is still there. Okay. So the the plaque from the movie is still there, the Higby store. But um yeah, no, that that very first scene So when, you shopped at Higby's. Well, I was definitely down in the, in Public Square. <laughs> we went down there quite a bit. So that's why I said the first time I saw it I said, "Wait a minute. I know that place. I I've, I've been there." That's always fun when you're young and you see something on the television and you're like wait a minute i've been to that place i've seen it yeah it's always nice but yeah. um that movie definitely gives me ohio vibes and just the feel the midwest feel and i love it i i just and we'll talk about our favorite christmas movies coming up we'll talk about our favorite christmas songs our favorite christmas movies this is just a preview okay. this is the start no but I'm, I'm just saying i think it's a perfect movie i mean there i mean i think the top five christmas movies of that i like are all perfect movies really i mean i I think there are easily five perfect Christmas movies. And this is one of them. And this is one of them. I mean, I uh, Christmas, Christmas Story is one of them. There it is, Christmas Story. It is uh, an absolutely, when it's over, you feel good the entire time. And when it's over, you're sad it's over. You, you wish that there was another 30 minutes, a little bit more of Ralphie's yeah. Christmas Day. And he's not wrong about it being like little vignettes because we do play right. it all day on Christmas. We just let it play in the background of while we're doing everything and... You know, you just stop and watch a little bit, and then you just go on and do something else. And, but, yeah, we generally watch it one time all the way through right. also. No, absolutely. I, uh, I'm i with you 100%. I think it's a fabulous movie. It was fun to kind of start off. Oh, I was going to mention to him, and I forgot. It's funny that he said he wanted to be an astronaut. I wonder if he knew that Peter Billingsley was uh, the president of the Young Astronauts Club. Oh, I don't know. Isn't that funny, though? Yeah, that that is interesting. They have a little connection. <laughs> well, I just think it's awesome that he's bought the place sight unseen. He had never even seen. Oh yeah, it. he has some faith. Yeah, he had a lot of faith. He was like, "I'm gonna just, I'm doing it. I'm just gonna." Go I with. like that he sent his wife <laughs> just an email. Just, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. That's oh wow. But he's he's purchased a quite a bit of the property now. So he's got the bump assist. He's got the museum. He's got the, the house itself. So it isn't just a quick... Because I know the first time I yeah. thought about that is, what do I do in this house? Well, I know people have driven minutes. up there. Jamie and her husband have driven up there, I believe. And um, Angie and her husband have mm -hmm. gone up there. And so, I I mean, they've all enjoyed it. I, I would like to... spent time up there. It wasn't like they were, you know, in and out. No, I would like to. I would. I would love to have a to spend the night there. I mean, I would oh, love I know, to. Right. Let's but do it, it. But again, it has to be snowing. I mean, I have to be able to sit on the couch, like the old man and and mom, and watch the and snow. watch the snow with a glass of wine. Even if I'm not drinking the glass of wine, I want to be sitting there and just and yeah. living that moment, because I think that they. It's almost like they they were portraying what people would consider a perfect American family uh -huh. at the time. I think so. You know, and so everybody wants to be part of a perfect American family. So yeah, that's that's what gave me the good feels about it. Yeah, I think our kids would love it too to go I, spend the night. I agree with you. And they're not young. <laughs> no, I think they would both like it right now. That's what I'm saying. And they're not yeah. young. They would. I think they'd enjoy it. No, I I agree with you, 100. percent So um, anything else? Uh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what do you all think about? So what we're talking about tonight by the Christmas Story House. Have you ever been to a Christmas Story House? What was your experience there? I mean, sounds like a, a great place to me. Again, I grew up in Cleveland, but by the time that I had left Cleveland and went to college and went to the Marine Corps, uh, it, was, it wasn't a museum yet. It's only been a museum in the last 15 years or so. Definitely something I wouldn't mind if I'm if I find myself back at, in in Cleveland going by and visiting. It sounds like a lot of fun. But what are your thoughts? What do you feel about the, the movie itself, A Christmas Story? I think it's probably one of the top five, easily one of the top five, if not the best Christmas movie ever made. I do think it's a perfect film. 
we'll talk about more about that Easy in, in, in the upcoming weeks. I don't want to, I'm not letting you out. But if you have any questions or comments about what we've talked about tonight with Brian Jones, you can email us, provemewrongcast at gmail.com. That's our email address. You can also drop us a, a note on Facebook or Instagram. Just prove me wrong. That's the name of the program. You can just search that uh, on Facebook and you'll find us. If you are looking to just hear the podcast itself, we're on every podcast platform that there is. We are on Spotify, TuneIn, iTunes, Stitcher, Anchor, any podcast app that you can find, you can find the Premier On podcast. Like and subscribe to the show. You'll be notified when a brand new episode is released. We typically release them once a week. So like and subscribe and you'll be, the, you'll be notified every week when a new episode arrives, just like this one. We are also on YouTube. There is the scroll right there. Like and subscribe to the Prove Me Wrong podcast YouTube account, and uh, you can see the video. So we have a podcast version and a video version. You can see how we have uh, decked out the Prove Me Wrong podcast studio here. And um, like and subscribe, and you will be notified again when a new episode has released. Before we go tonight, our episode tonight has been brought to you by Zendozone Citronella Burners from J.T. Eaton. They're shaped like fearless bug-repellent tiki gods. So let Surf and Stan, Hawaiian Howie, and Luau Lily bring the islands to your backyard with Zendozone Citronella Burners. Zendozones uses natural 3% citronella candles and incense cones, perfect for patios, decks, backyards, campsite, poolside, and more. You can enjoy the outdoors again. They're available on Amazon.com and at select Ace Hardware stores, so go ahead and collect them all today. So once again, for Christina, who oh, my lovely assistant, I brought her out of retirement. She's going to be with us on all of our Christmas-themed. We're going to talk her favorite movies, her favorite music, maybe her favorite sweater, her favorite Christmas sweater <laughs> that she has or doesn't have. I don't know. You're silly. She's got a lot of weird stuff. But, uh, but for Brian Jones, a Christmas Story House, and for Christina and Pete, this is the Prumeron Podcast, and we'll see you again soon. <laughs>